0: From Ephesians chapter 5, we'll be reading today verses 11 through 15. Hear now God's word. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, awake, you who sleep. Arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. And thus far the reading of God's Word and all God's people said, Amen. may be seated. Christians have struggled over the debate of how to live. In a fallen world. We touched on this a bit this morning in our Sunday school class. Should we retreat and separate ourselves from the world? After all, we read in James 1.27 that pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. And in order to remain unspotted and to keep our children unspotted, shouldn't we, as we read in 2 Corinthians 6, come out from among them and be separate? Or must we integrate with the world? Paul said, I have have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Jesus was the friend of sinners. We are told by Jesus that we are not to hide our light under a basket. So which is it? Well, I believe wisdom calls for us to obey all of the Word of God, to take all of it, God says, and to understand that there are certain ways in which we are separate, and there are certain other ways in which we are integrated with the world, that we are out there letting our light shine, And that we're to do all of that. And and that, that will require, of course, wisdom. Jesus said in John 17, They are not of the world, speaking of his disciples, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Set them apart. Separate them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. So what separates us, what makes us unique What makes us holy is the Word of God and all that it teaches. But having been set apart, we are then sent out into the world as a peculiar people, zealous for good works. In other words, we have a job to do in the world. We are called to navigate between the ditches, to love God and to not love the things of the world at the same time. And so the truth is, as we've been reading through Ephesians chapter 5, that we are, in fact, surrounded by darkness. The question is, how should we then live? There's part of us that just wants to retreat, to get away from the ugliness, to get away sometimes just from people, certainly get away from the problems. Eventually, God will take us out of this fallen world and put us in a new heavens and new earth, but in the meantime, here we are and he has called us to live in the middle of it all, to live with one another, as broken as we are, as bad as we are. And he's called us to do something in the midst of all the problems. The most fundamental thing is for each of us to realize, that is to recognize, that there are two distinct realms and that We have a loyalty to one of them. It's not half and half. It's not on again, off again, sometimes being part of the world and sometimes being part of the kingdom of God. If we are darkness, then the darkness extends everywhere we go. It covers our whole world like a blanket. It affects the way we think, the way we feel, the way we react. It affects our politics, how we spend our money and our leisure. It affects our families. It affects our entertainment, and if we are light, then that light shines in every direction, dispelling the darkness, and as our text says, exposing all things. And so Paul lays out some fundamental principles or directives to help us navigate this dangerous territory, this world of darkness. He tells us how to safeguard ourselves while we are accomplishing this mission. We have to do more than one thing, and we have to do it at the same time or simultaneously. And I I just made a note here. If you think all this talk about kingdoms of darkness and light is a fairy tale, then tune out and continue down your path to nowhere. But if you take these words of Scripture to be what they claim to be, then I urge you to tune in and prepare yourself for a path to glory. Now, Paul begins with this guard, this protection, this, this boundary, if you will, when he says we are to have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. In other words, we cannot act like nothing is wrong and that there is no difference between us and the unbelieving world. He, in saying this, is protecting us from danger, and He is establishing certain boundaries for us to live within. I like to sometimes think of Scripture like if we think of this room, we have the four walls that define this room. And so the Bible often does that. It it says... You know, you're to be in this room. You're not to be outside of this room. But anywhere in this room, you can move freely. Now, sometimes the Bible is very specific. It says, no, you need to stand in this spot and not move. You can't go anywhere. But most often, it gives us parameters and boundaries and tells us what we can and can't do within this room, if you will. And so here we are in the world, and certain boundaries are set up, And so we're told not to have fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Fellowship implies communion. A union, union, if you will, a common union. But darkness and light can never commune. They are mutually exclusive. Either the darkness will be dispelled by the light or else the light will have to be extinguished. Those are the options. We can have friendship with unbelievers, but not in the fellowship of their unfruitful works of darkness. We don't participate in sinful talk or behavior. We are always separate in those things. We might be among them. We may be friendly. Hopefully we are engaging, serving, helping, loving, but not participating in the unfruitful works of darkness. There are boundary lines that we won't cross. And so Paul writes about this also in 2 Corinthians 6, verses 14 through 16. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. And so there is a clear line of demarcation. And we will not, therefore, entangle ourselves in marriage or business or other activities that link us or yoke us together with unbelievers. This restriction is given to protect us. We are in fellowship our communion with Christ and his people. Jesus said, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. And of course, Psalm 1 gives us this excellent exhortation about the life of the believer. Blessed or happy is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. We don't get our advice from the unbelieving world, nor sits in the seat of the scornful excuse me, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scornful. And so we don't find our counsel and advice, and our and we don't spend our, all of our time in those settings. Rather, and he sets over against that, his delight is in the law of the Lord. Now, if you're delighting in the law of the Lord, and you are meditating in his law day and night, you're thinking about it, you're self-conscious about your commitment to the Word of God, then you can go among sinners. You can go among the ungodly. You can even go among the scornful, as Paul did, for example, at the Areopagus. But he went to speak. He didn't go to participate. In that sense, he went to deliver a message, to be light in that dark place. In other words, as we go out into the world, we are also resolved not to become part of that world. And so I ask you this morning, and young people, I'm going to especially ask for your attention here are you settled in that matter? Has that issue been settled once and for all? You've heard me say many times the decision, for example, to go to church. How often do you make that decision? Saturday night, each week, Sunday morning? How about just one time? That's who I am, that's what I do. We settle that. That decision's been made. One less decision i got to make going forward. What about tithing? Yep, made that decision too. We just do that. That's just who we are. We don't decide that every payday. We don't decide that uh, to see if we can afford it. We can't afford not to do it. That decision's been made. And there are any number of decisions like that. And I'm asking you, have you made this decision that you are loyal to Jesus Christ as you go out into the world? That... He is Lord. Now, the second part of this verse gives us a positive mission. We may not assume a passive position. We are called rather to expose the unfruitful works of darkness. That's what light does. That is its job, and you are light. We are members of the body of Christ, and our lights of, and, and thereby we are the light of the world as well. When people see you at work, when they see you at school or home, they see a shining light. Wherever you are, all the time, your kindness, your grace, your mercy, love, and wisdom should be radiating out in all directions. The light works in several ways. First, since we are light, the world can see us. That's what happens when the lights are on, right? We stand out. i would heard for many years that supposedly you could see, in a, if, if you had complete darkness, you could see a candle 30 miles away. Uh, look that up and apparently that's a myth. But you can see it a mile and a half away. And if we had all the lights out, and could completely darken the room, it wouldn't take very much of a light in here, and everybody's attention would be focused on it. One little flashlight, one little candle. That candle right there would completely, if, if we could make the rest of this room dark, everyone's eyes would immediately focus upon that candle. Well, that's the way you should be. So first, we are light, and the world can see us. And second, this little light of mine creates a contrast with the surrounding darkness. You see, that candle right now is burning in front of us here, and you may or may not have focused on it or noticed it, but if all of a sudden the lights were out, everyone's attention would go there because the contrast would be so stark and so dramatic that you couldn't help but look. And so, a little light goes a long way. The contrast between light and dark is dramatic, and we don't have to wonder, is that darkness or light? It's hard to tell. Think right now some people you know who, without a doubt, are light. Christian light. We show forth the light of Christ in their life. You know who they are, right? But do they know who you are? That's the more important question for this morning. Could they say the same about you? Well, third, light shines and dispels the darkness. Light is more powerful than darkness because wherever it goes, the darkness flees. Fourth, light exposes what was unseen before. Truth always exposes the lie. The straight line always exposes the crooked line, however slightly crooked it might be. Our light comes in an array of colors. Our words, corrections, reproof, instruction, all the things we use our words for, that's a form of light. Our emotions, our attitudes, our joys, our peace, our thankfulness. And of course, our behavior is another form of light that people see. Our marriages, our family, how we work. All those things are the ways in which this light is dispersed. And now we maintain contact in the world the same way Jesus did it. He was a friend of sinners and tax collectors. He ate and drank with them. He wasn't afraid to be seen with them. He spoke to them and he ministered to them. But he never did it in a way that fellowship, that he was in fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. And so are you smart enough? Are you wise enough to know the difference? Have you learned how to live in the dark world Without being part of the dark world, how to continue. can you live in the dark world as a light? And so we must make it clear to what Doctor Van Til called our enemy friends that we're interested in them as human beings, and that we do have much in common with them. They are made in the image of God, right? They live in God's world. They feel the things we feel and see the things we see and hear the things we hear. They're afraid. They're anxious. They experience so many things that we experience. The problem is they don't know how to interpret it. They're in the dark. They are, again, I believe it was Dr. Van Til that said, like a blind man in a dark room looking for a black cat that isn't there. Nevertheless, we have no interest in participating in or approving of their interpretation or their sinful lifestyle. And so, with wisdom, we set out to convince them of their need of the gospel light. The world demands that you not only leave them alone in their darkness, but that you approve of their darkness. But, of course, you know better, because Paul has already pointed out that you once were darkness. You've been there. You know what that was like. But now you are light in the Lord. Colossians 4, 5, and 6. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside. Redeem the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned as it were with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Perhaps some of you can recall how other Christians loved you. How they embraced you. How they led you to Christ. You both heard and saw the gospel light. Kindness and grace were shining and suddenly you could see. I remember that. I remember seeing some young men who loved Jesus Christ and were out talking to people on the street in the summer in Lawton, Oklahoma. And I was seventeen. And I remember going home that night to my uncle's house and doing something I don't recall doing, perhaps maybe when I was a little kid, but here I was, actually I think I was still 16, about to turn 17, and I got on my knees at that double bed in his house, and I prayed a simple prayer. Lord, I don't know what they have, but that's what I want. And so, you and I bring flashes of light everywhere we go. We should be beacons. With a cultural storm raging, raging, the church is the lighthouse in the harbor. And you must remember that you are the church. You are the body of Christ in this world, a place of direction and safety. And the greater the storm, the more essential that we provide this vital function, this constant thing. The world's moving and changing all the time, but the church, the body of Christ, the light of the gospel, is never changes. It's the same. And so the church, with all of her flaws and with all of her enemies, without and within, has been the constant thing, the lighthouse in the harbor, in the darkest moments She has been a refuge for millions, for individuals, for families, for communities, and for culture. Our text says next, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wives. Make sure, when he says see then, see to it, if you will, make sure that you implement this into how you live. The word walk refers to our entire conduct and attitude. It has to be seen and heard. And so throughout the Bible, we're given these contrasts, this antithesis, if you will. And this is how we are to see the world. Light and darkness, wise and foolish, good and evil, sheep and goats, wheat and chaff, the broad way, the narrow way, life and death, heaven and hell. Paul says to make sure that you're on the right side of these equations. And then he says, redeeming the time because the days are evil. To redeem something is to buy it, or more particularly to buy it back. It's been lost. It's like the idea of a slave when someone buys that person's freedom, sets them free. We're watching for every opportunity, he says, to seize the moment. You and I, I, for most of us, I think, you and I have wasted a lot of time. And the Apostle is telling us that now is the time to make up for a lost time. Perhaps you've had years without Christ, maybe years in the dark. You didn't read your Bibles, or pray, or fellowship with God's people, or worship, or sing, or tithe. Nope, you didn't do that. And so, now, now is a good time to make the most of what you have been given. I once was blind, but now I see. So the first way we redeem the time is in regard to ourselves. Take every opportunity to grow and mature in Christ. We need that light to get brighter, bigger. We need to make use of all that God has given us to grow, to have a bigger impact on a dark world. Second, the second way we can redeem the time is in regard to others. The world's still in darkness, still in sin. But we know something they don't know. We're God's reflecting instruments shining into their lives. Peter puts it this way in 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust which wage war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, do- they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. What is he saying? He said, yeah, I know people say all kinds of things about Christians and about the hypocrisy and what's wrong with the church. And I saw this Christian do that or do this. But you know what? If you continue collectively to live to the glory of God, to shine those lights, they may speak evil against you falsely. But you know, in the day of visitation, at the end of time, when it's all said and done, I I have a phrase I like to use, uh, you understand, the eyes of Texas are upon you. People are watching you all the time and you don't know it. And you know how I know that? Because you're watching people all the time and they don't know it, right? And haven't you seen some people do some things, bad or good, and you've never forgotten And didn't that impact your life? And some of the people you saw were Christians and you saw what they said and did and what they sacrificed and how they served and how humble they were. and You saw that and God used that to shape you. And God's using you to shape them. And there are going to be some really big surprises on the last day. And there's going to be some people... Because of you, because of your faithfulness to shine, they're going to glorify God on that day. We seize the opportunity to live in such a way so as to attract people and to make them feel that they're missing something amazing and something wonderful. When things like sickness and misfortune and family trouble or death occur, these present opportunities to shine some light. Your presence, your words, your phone calls, your prayers. Redeem those times for their sakes. Yes, the days are evil. Does that mean we give up and quit? Paul writes do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's why you're still here. That's why God hadn't taken you out yet. He has you here to overcome evil. By doing good. And John has declared this, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. Folks, we win. Jesus has already declared the victory. We're just in the mopping up operation here. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So let me encourage you today, in all these matters, take a look. Let's get those uh, you know, batteries out and recharge them. Let's uh, kindle the fire. Let's use whatever metaphor you want, whatever kind of light you have, LED or you know, fire on a stick. I don't care. Let's make it bigger and brighter. You can. The world is counting on it. They don't know it, but we do. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we are so grateful that you sent Jesus into the world. He was indeed the light of the world, and he has enlightened us. Like little children who tremble in the darkness, we too are often timid and afraid. Help us to step fully into the light and to bask in its glory. May we become great reflectors of that light to this dark world that so desperately needs to see. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Second Corinthians four six. For it is the God who for it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So the same power that created the world has recreated us. The same word that said, let there be light, and there was light, that same word has been spoken to us. And so we come to this table, this table of thanksgiving, and a big part of what we are thankful for is light. Paul writes to the Colossians and he prays this. That you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to His glorious power, for all patience and long suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Father, we are so grateful to be able to come into your presence as your people, to hear your word, to sing, to offer up praise and thanksgiving. We thank you for the table that we just gathered around to eat as your children, to be nourished by you. And now, Father, as we go forth, we pray you would go before us that you would make us mighty and strong in the Lord, that indeed you would enable us to shine in a dark world. Strengthen us, we pray, and bless us as we gather to eat and fellowship in a moment. Bless our meal, bless our conversation, and bless our rest today. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. amen. But you beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, Praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ and to eternal life. Amen. Amen.